Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 46th episode of 2022. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Nokia, the gold sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of President Biden signing the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, IIJA, into law, which committed $65 billion for broadband. I had the pleasure to spend the day with Alan Davidson of NTIA, who the president and Congress has entrusted with about 46 billion of the 65 billion, which includes the 42.45 billion B broadband uh, infrastructure funding. We spent the day at a fiber manufacturing plant with our friends from Corning, observing how state-of-the-art fiber optic cable is being made. And the assistant secretary learned how to fusion splice fiber. We heard from the experts in detail how the industry has responded with fiber optic cable production expansion to ensure that our nation has more than enough domestic fiber capacity to meet all the big fiber supply requirements and the other fiber demand over the coming years. You know, earlier this week, I was in Tucson, Arizona, meeting with the state association's leadership from across the country. I am very encouraged by the passion and dedication from these organizations as we all come together as an industry to close the digital equity gap once and for all. That brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session with Evan Marwell, founder and CEO of the Education Superhighway, to discuss state and local leaders can close the digital uh, divide by removing barriers to free internet. You know, last week on Fiber for Breakfast, we met with our good friend, Jonathan Chaplin, the managing partner of Wall Street equity analyst firm, New Street Research discuss fiber is not enough. Jonathan shared with us his latest research that illustrated that his projections that private and public funding has the opportunity to get fiber to nearly every American, but warned ISPs that fiber is not enough. His research shows that net promoter scores go up as you deliver greater and greater speeds, but after about 200 meg or above, consumers are going to be looking for more than just speed. They're going to be looking for customer service and value-added added, value added service bundles. Today on Fiber for Breakfast, we're meeting with Evan Marwell, the founder and CEO of the Education Superhighway, to discuss how state and local leaders can close the digital divide by removing barriers to free internet. Evan is the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway, the leading nonprofit focused on closing the digital divide in America's most unconnected communities. In eight years, the Education Superhighway has closed the digital divide in America's K-12 schools, connecting nearly 47 million students and 99.7% of America's classrooms to high-speed broadband. A recipient of the San Francisco Chronicle's Visionary of the Year Award and a serial entrepreneur, Evan launched companies over the last 25 years in telecom, software, and hedge fund industries. Evan is an honors graduate from Harvard College and Harvard Business School and a board chair of My Argo a board member at Direct Relief, and I can't even say this other one, Evan. The reckon- Recidivids. What is it? Recidivids. Recidivids. I should have been able to say yeah. that. And co-founder of Ignite, 
uh, reading, a Zoom-based K through three reading tutorial program. So with that, welcome Evan. And for audience, please type in your questions and comments as we go, and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'd like to get things started and turn it over to Evan. Great. Well, Gary, thanks for having me today. It's always good to be back amongst uh, your constituents here. We're obviously big supporters of fiber deployment and uh, getting fiber to every home in America. So uh, today what I'd like to talk about is um, how we can use the IIJA to close what we call the broadband affordability gap. Um, as I'll talk about in a second, there are about 18 million households in America, uh, two thirds of the digital divide that are not online, not because they don't have access to the internet, but because they can't afford it. And the IIJA really represents the most important step that we've ever taken as a nation to close that part of the digital divide. So if we go to the next slide, please. This is from a report we did a, a little over a year ago where we took a look at the digital divide. There, there are about 28 million households in America today. So just to put that in perspective, that's 25% of the households in the United States that are unconnected. Um, about 7 million of them are unconnected because they have no infrastructure available. About 3 million of them, mostly elderly households, um, are not really interested in, in being on the internet. And that leaves just over 18 million households, representing close to 47 million uh, individuals who are offline because they can't afford to get online. And when I say they can't afford, it's not because there aren't affordable plans available to them. It's because they really just don't have the resources available uh, to afford even a low cost plan. Um, this is two thirds, as I mentioned, of the digital divide in America. And you know, until now, we haven't really had the tools at our disposal to be able to actually make progress against this, this part of the digital divide. The IIJA has changed all that. And specifically, it has created two programs that really give us a chance to meaningfully close the broadband affordability gap. The first is the one that I'm sure everybody on your call on this webinar today is, is uh, familiar with, which is the Affordable Connectivity Program. Uh, the ACP provides a $30 per month subsidy for households meeting the eligibility requirements, which are generally uh, if you're at 200% of the poverty level or less, or you participate in one of many uh, federal and state uh, assistance programs. Um, but the challenge is um, that we have not yet uh, figured out how to really drive enrollment of this program. Uh, there are over 51 million households that are eligible for the ACP um, and only 14.8 million, uh, so less than, you know, just over 25% of households that are eligible have actually enrolled. Um, compare that to national best practices, which is around 61%. If you look at communities across the country that are doing the best, they're at about 61%. So we have a big gap that, uh, that we need to fill. The good news is that there are 17.7 million unconnected households. So almost all of those 18 million households that are offline because they can't afford it, um, that are eligible for the ACP and are not enrolled in the ACP. So this gives us a tremendous opportunity to actually close the broadband affordability gap if we can drive adoption um, of this program. Now, the other thing I'll say about uh, the Affordable Connectivity Program is while 14.8 million people is a lot of people signed up for the ACP, as I'm sure most of you have experienced, the vast majority of those folks are people who already had internet before 
the ACP came along. So while the ACP is doing a good job making the internet more affordable for people who already had it, so far it's not really doing a great job um, getting people online and helping close the digital divide. So it's something that, well, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about why that is uh, as we go through the presentation. The other program though that is a, a lot less known in the IIJA is that within the BEAD and actually the Digital Equity Act uh, program, states are allowed to use funding to deploy what we call free apartment Wi-Fi. So this is installing sort of hotel Wi-Fi uh, in low-income apartment buildings that qualify uh, under, under the Act, and there's some specific provisions about that. The interesting thing is that when you look at the buildings that are probably economically feasible, and, and we use a, a number of 50 units or more uh, for this, there's, a, there's six, over 68,000 of these buildings across the country that we could connect. And if we, and if we connected all of those, we would connect almost 10 million households, but more importantly, almost 3.4 million unconnected households. So it's a chance to really make a lot of progress really quickly. And, and the idea is basically just as you would in a hotel, um, you, you deploy Wi-Fi access points down the hallways in these buildings. And then when people, the people who live there, they can log on just like they would at a hotel. And it's, we've done about 10 of these uh, projects around the, around the country already. They're super successful in terms of um, both the cost to deploy, the participation of ISPs in the local area, and um, the ability for, or, or the, the impact that they're having on the digital divide. So these programs are also a huge business opportunity for ISPs. Um, we estimate that this is a eight billion plus annual revenue opportunity for, for folks. Um, that divides into a six and a half billion dollar greenfield revenue opportunity for the affordable connectivity program. So if you take those 18 million households roughly that are offline because they can't afford it, those are the last new customers that you can really get to. Uh, everything else, is really, unless you're building out to the, some of those rural areas, everything else is really about taking share from the incumbents, right? Uh, or the people who, who they're already signed up with. So, you know, $6.5 billion is a, is a huge revenue opportunity and it's an opportunity across the country. It's not concentrated in one area or another. Um, so that's a tremendous opportunity. On the apartment Wi-Fi side, every one of those buildings is gonna need an, an enterprise uh, fiber connection to the building in order to feed the Wi-Fi networks that folks are going to deploy. And in most cases, these are not buildings where folks are going to deploy fiber to every unit because the economics, given the affordability issues in those buildings, are just not going to pan out in terms of the capital investment. So that does make a $1.5 billion enterprise revenue opportunity of supplying, um, <clears throat> supplying the, uh, the connectivity to the building and there's an even bigger opportunity if ISPs want to be the managed service providers in those buildings. So we think both of these uh, opportunities both can have an incredible impact on the, the digital divide today and be a tremendous opportunity for uh, many of the folks on this call. The other thing that I think is important to know is that states are embracing both of these opportunities. So we did a lot of work uh, with all kinds of folks on the Infrastructure Act. And now we're spending a lot of time with states, helping them think through how do they address the affordability issues as part of their broadband plans that they're gonna to submit to NTIA. Already today, 27 governors have committed to driving adoption of the affordable connectivity programs across their states. And four states have actually are actually using ARPA and treasury capital projects dollars to start deploying these 
free apartment Wi-Fi networks. And we think there's going to be a whole bunch more as we're just getting out there and finding that a lot of states actually have the ability, uh, have buckets in their treasury capital projects dollars um, for these kinds of deployments. So it's a, something that, so closing the broadband affordability gap using these two programs is a priority for states. And I think you're going to see a lot of action about this coming up in, uh, in 2023. Next, next slide, please. Okay, so let's turn to the ACP and, and, and ask the question, how can we really drive increased adoption? So we've been doing adoption pilots around the country uh, with the Affordable Connectivity Program. We're working in partnership with school districts, with cities, with housing authorities, with community-based organizations, with health centers, all of the folks who have relationships with unconnected households. And what we've learned is that there are three big challenges getting in the way of ACP adoption. The first is awareness. In many communities, less than 25% of the households are actually aware of the Affordable Connectivity Program. The second is trust. Uh, households honestly are hesitant to enroll in part because they're concerned about sharing their personal information and in part because they're really worried that their bill will go up after a, a period of time or the program itself will go away and they don't want to get stuck with the bill because they've had bad experiences with that. And the third problem is enrollment. When you look at the data out of USAC, 45% of applicants who apply, who get through what is an incredibly difficult process, uh, takes 30 to 45 minutes if you're lucky, 45% of those folks are rejected, primarily because they don't have the right documentation submitted with their application. And because the, the application is so difficult through the National Verifier, um, what we're finding is probably an equal amount, if not more, are abandoning before they even get to the, to, to the finish line to enroll in the ACP. So combating these awareness, trust, and enrollment issues is really what we're focused on as an organization now in order to help states drive ACP adoption. Okay, so what are we doing uh, to help do this? So the first thing is we are working with states to launch statewide ACP awareness campaigns. Um, a lot of these are gonna start in January and we call it our Act Now campaign. And it's really all about leveraging earned and social media to raise ACP awareness and engage trusted institutions and community-based organizations. That last part is really important because what we know is that if you think about that trust barrier, the folks who already have trusted relationships are the ones who we really need doing the outreach uh, to unconnected households. And that was really reflected in the NOFO that the FCC just put out uh, earlier, I think it was earlier this week or last week, um, on uh, their outreach program. They're very focused on engaging these trusted institutions and community-based organizations. So we're helping states launch, uh, launch these campaigns. Um, they'll be getting cities across the state to participate in the press release, to participate in a social media campaign. And then we have created a uh, affordable connectivity program training uh, certification program for community-based organizations um, so that staff in those organizations and others can, can learn about what is the affordable connectivity program, can see what the application process is like, understand all the getchas and gotchas that are part of it uh, so that they can help people actually get through that process. And, and that will be rolling out uh, alongside these uh, awareness campaigns um, towards the end of the year. Um, so this is part one of addressing the awareness uh, issues. 
As part of this, we've also created an ACP enrollment dashboard. Um, so as many of you know, USAC publishes data on how many people have enrolled in the ACP, but what they haven't done is, is published any data on how many people are eligible for the ACP. And in order to drive awareness in the places where uh, awareness is lowest, where enrollment is lowest, you really need to know that, that information. So we now have on the Education Superhighway website, a dashboard where you can look at the state and even at the city level um, to see what are enrollments by community across every community in the country of at least 25,000 um, uh, population. And, um, and, and what you'll find is that there are real targets of opportunity uh, in every state across the country that enable people to focus their awareness work. And so we think this is a, a big a, a tool that will be a big help to states and cities in figuring out where do we want to go to drive ACP awareness. And it's, of course, available to ISPs as well and others who are trying to do this work and find out where are the customers that we can get that are in that 17.7. The other thing we've done is we've published um, both uh, adoption toolkits, which is, you know, what are the playbooks for empowering local leaders and trusted institutions and community-based organizations to do this outreach, you know, uh, to unconnected households. And we have a resource hub where anyone can go and get all kinds of uh, marketing and social media and other collateral to do ACP outreach. And this is freely available to everybody and would encourage you to go there. You can download the collateral, you can modify it, you can do whatever you want with it. And, uh, but, but this is stuff that we've been testing in the field to see what works and what doesn't work. Um, and, and these are the things that we're finding have the most impact. The other thing that we've done, and this is really to address the enrollment challenges, is we have created a mobile website that can be sort of the call to action, the focal point uh, for all these awareness activities. Um, this is a, a website called getacp.org, which we should have had on the slide here. Um, it's available today. Um, and the idea is to really help people get ready for that challenging ACP enrollment process. Um, the website does three things. It helps people determine if they're eligible and what the easiest way to qualify is, because as we've learned in the field, some ways are a lot easier than others because of the documentation they do or don't require. It gives them a checklist of all the documentation that they're going to need to have ready when they go through the process. And if they don't have an email address, it helps them sign up for an email address because that's part of the process that's required. And finally, it helps people find what we call the free with ACP, ACP plans from ISPs. So if you're an ISP out there and you're not already in our database, please make sure to get in touch with us so that we can make sure that, that you're, you're added in because it's what will help folks um, uh, find your plans once they start down this journey. In addition, uh, folks can, who are going through the ACP process can actually get chat support from the Education Superhighway Contact Center um, as they go through the process to help them figure out you know, again, if they have eligibility questions or while they're actually going through the application, if they get stuck. And our goal uh, and what we're talking to the FCC about is actually to enable uh, a household to go through the entire ACP application process right from getacp.org. Um, there, as many of you know, the USAC has an API uh, that allows you to transmit information right into the national verifier. And, and what we've done is we've asked for permission to use that API so that we can give users a more user-friendly experience than perhaps what they get at the, uh, the National Verifier website 
and provide them the kinds of support that we know that they need, especially in connected households, in a mobile-friendly environment, because that's how people can get online. Again, remember, most of these unconnected households, they don't have internet. And so not having a mobile-friendly website makes the application process even that much more challenging. Um, this is something that we'll be rolling out in conjunction, well, it's already being rolled out, uh, but with those statewide awareness campaigns, this will be the focal point of most, most of those campaigns. And so I think you're gonna start to see this showing up around the country uh, in Q1. Okay. So I know we have a lot of uh, ISPs on the call here, so I wanted to make sure that we touched on, you know, what are the things that you can do uh, in order to make it easier for people to not only get enrolled in the ACP, but to, to get enrolled in your plans once they've, once they've qualified for the ACP. The first thing is automatically approve folks who've qualified for the ACP for your affordable broadband plans. Um, today, too many ISPs have a two-step process where first you have to get your ACP and then you have to go through a whole application to say that you qualify for the affordable broadband program that, IS, that a particular ISP is, is offering. They've already gone through the process to show that they're in the low-income group. Don't make them do it again because it's just another reason that people will choose to go to an ISP that's not making them do that. The second is create an ACP specific plan that meets that $30 per month uh, threshold. I, I know many of you have already done this, um, but that's what these folks are looking for. They're not looking for plans, uh, especially unconnected households, they're not looking for plans where they have to pay something because we know they already can't pay something. So creating that plan that's synchronized with the eligibility requirements for the ACP um, is, is, a, is a big step in the right direction. The third thing is create a web page that has details of your ACP specific plans. One of the things that we've learned is that, again, these folks are not online and the way that they're gonna access things is, is through, the, is through their, their mobile devices and they have all kinds of questions about your pricing, your terms, whether their equipment and installation costs, how you handle debt and so on and so on. And making that stuff all clear up front is really gonna help folks get through the process. Fourth is establish a dedicated company contact person who can work with communities and states about getting the word out on ACP. So as I said, there's gonna be a lot of this activity starting in the new year. And we wanna make sure that ISPs are part of these awareness campaigns so that we're making people aware of the programs that you have to offer. And finally, create a dedicated ACP enrollment support line. Um, too often folks call into normal support lines and what we find is folks are not necessarily trained on the ACP and how it works in their company. And, and what we found to be the best is if there are dedicated folks that take those calls from, AC, from customers who are coming to you with the ACP or to help get enrolled in the ACP. So there's a lot that uh, all, all of you can do to, to help make this program a success. Um, I think you know there's 6.5 billion reasons uh, to, to participate in the ACP program in terms of new Greenfield customers you can get. And that's on top of making things more affordable and, and enabling existing customers that you have to upgrade to, to, to even better plans that you have today. So that's what we're up to. Uh, I'm super excited about all the engagement that we have at the federal and the state level with ISPs across the country. You're already doing a lot. And um, I think we really do have an opportunity over the next four years to make a huge dent in, in the broadband affordability gap and the digital divide. So thanks very much. Evan, great stuff. I really appreciate it. So let me ask you a few questions. So first, you know, you're saying we're a bit behind um, hitting best practices. 
you know, I look at this as the big three, right? We have access, affordability, and adoption. And you have to do those in order because you can't get any of that unless you have access, right? So you have to first make sure that we get access. And then you, once you have access and you work on affordability, and then once you have the affordability, you have to go get adoption. Because I have, you know, people call me up all the time saying, um, you know, my internet bill is 500 bucks a month because I have to use um, satellite and some kind of wireless plan because I'm in a, you know, an area that's not addressed with uh, a fixed access. Do you believe that some of this will be self-correcting as we get more access available to people? Yeah, so I mean, certainly there's that seven million uh, bucket of of homes that don't that are offline because they don't have access. Um, and you know, as you build out, there are a bunch of those folks who will be able to afford things right out of the gate. But what I'll tell you is, there's also a lot of those people who will not be able to afford things uh, as you build to them and as you pass them, just like the 18 million households that already have access today. Uh, that can't afford things. And you know, the further you get out into the rural communities where most of those 7 million folks are, there's a lot of poverty out there and um, there's a lot of people who won't be able to afford it. When you think about, you had your, your map of all the states and who's um, prioritizing ACP right now, but wouldn't, won't all 56 states and territories be planning to deliver their income, low income affordability as part of their five-year B plan and they will, adopt ACP so wouldn't that map be all 56 states and territories here as soon as they get their plans in? Yeah we we expect we're going to see that map grow a lot. Um, I, I don't know about you Gary but we've as as one of my colleagues likes to say we, we've been traveling the country from our living rooms meeting with state uh, broadband offices and governor's offices and what we're finding is there are a lot of states that frankly are just getting started, right? Yeah. They're just staffing up. Uh, and so uh, what we found is it's the states that are a little bit further ahead in terms of staffing up and having thought about like, what are they gonna do with all this money that are the ones that are already committing. But we, as, we expect as the other ones get staffed up, look, the, the NTIA has required states to have a plan for increasing ACP adoption as part of their broadband affordability plans, uh, sorry, as part of their broadband plans that they submit. Um, and what we're trying to do is say like, okay, that's great, do that, but one of the best things you can do is get your governor involved. Use the bully pulpit that you have to then get the governor involved and then get the mayors involved and the county executives involved so that they can uh, help drive adoption through earned and social media. So one of the things in BEAD, which was a little bit troublesome for me, is that for the low income affordability, it said, um, it suggested ACP or similar programs. And the problem with that is if you're going to use your national verifier database, uh, and ISP can't, it's going to be too complex if they have all kinds of different plans. So are you encouraging all states just to adopt ACP or is there, have you seen any other state plan that would be as good or better than ACP? Uh, we have, we haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I don't, I don't expect that there's going to be a lot of people creating their own plans. Um, you know, the, there have been a couple of states that have, uh, that did supplements to like the emergency broadband benefit when it came out. And I think what they've seen is that there hasn't been super high adoption of those things. So I would suspect that most people are going to coalesce around the ACP, especially if we can solve some of the enrollment challenges. The, the one thing that might cause some states to do some things different is that 
it is so hard to get through that national verifier um, that they may say, you know, the heck with that, we're going to do our own thing so that it's not such a burden on, on our unconnected households. It's just that has to be coordinated with the service providers because obviously many service providers cover more than one state and so it makes it very complex that there's going to be 56 different programs yeah. and ways to qualify people so um that's me so I, I have a really good question here is IJA, iija and other related um, funding programs are a one-shot appropriation of funds so how can acp apartment wi-fi and similar programs continue to be funded over the long term so they can become a permanent solution yeah, so when it comes to the ACP, that's going to be a great question. Um, I think, uh, you know, as, as I've been traveling the country, I think there's going to be a very broad, very deep coalition uh, arguing for support of the ACP going forward. And, you know, in probably sometime around the next election, uh, there's going to have to be a lot of discussion about re either renewing or making permanent the program. Um, and, you know, whether it's ISPs or you know, public advocates or states, I, I really do think there aren't a lot of voices that are going to be against the ACP, provided that it actually helps close the digital divide. I think that the one main risk to the ACP is that if we wake up two years from now and the only people that have really signed up for it are people who had broadband before the ACP, I think we're going to have a tough time making the argument to Congress that like, oh, yeah, you should continue to fund this because it really was what made the difference closing the digital divide. So um, I think that's important. I think on the uh, apartment Wi-Fi side, um, you know, a lot of that money is going to go to the deployment of the networks. And what we found is that especially in low income, what they call naturally occurring affordable housing, so privately owned low income housing, Landlords and built building owners are willing to pay for the ongoing maintenance costs of those networks because they realize that it makes their building more attractive uh, for potential tenants and it helps them retain tenants, which at the end of the day is, is what they really care about. There may be some different challenges in public housing um, where you know budgets are really tight, uh, but I think that if, if we're seeing that this is truly a, a path to closing the digital divide, cities, states, housing authorities, and HUD, uh, we'll sort of figure out how to fund those ongoing costs. All right, well, we're out of time. I want to sneak in one more question. So what is the um, Education Superhighway doing to work with government agencies such as HUD and HHS Head Start who work with economically at risk? Yeah, so we, uh, we just signed a formal partnership with HUD to be their nonprofit partner for their Connect Home program. Uh, we're really excited about that and, and you know, we'll hopefully be announcing more things soon, uh, especially around leveraging the getacp.org in all the public housing uh, across the country to get people connected. Um, and then we're working at um, the state level with uh, states to get their agencies because you're absolutely right, Gary, one of the fastest way we can drive adoption of the affordable connectivity program is by getting the state agencies who run Medicaid, who run SNAP, who run WIC, et cetera, et cetera, to do outreach and, and help those folks get the documentation they need to sign up for the ACP. So we're super engaged and looking forward to engage with more of them, as well as school districts across the country who are another great partner. Well, Evan, I really appreciate it. You know, I'm on a number of uh, state broadband task force, and um, so I'm definitely going to be leaning on you for help us with affordability 
and um, adoption. Um, so thanks for joining us today. And I want to thank our audience for joining us today. And I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday when we'll be discussed, here's a shocker, Fiber meets DOCSIS 4.0, Cable's upgrade path to 10 gig with Grant Jocelyn, or Jocelyn, the Vice President of U.S. Telecom Equity Research at Credit Suisse, as he shares his financial modeling and industry immersion work that's gonna suggest the upgrade has benefits beyond just speed, including more reliability and more manageability. So let's see what Wall Street thinks about DOCSIS. Uh, you're not gonna to wanna to miss that, and we'll see you guys again next Wednesday.